0: 28 verses 18 and 19. You can take a look on the screen or open your Bibles with me. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make and go forth and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Well, thanks, Lawrence, for reading the scripture this evening getting us started. Welcome also to Church at Five uh, from me. My name is Sam, in case you haven't met me yet. I want to welcome those guys joining us on the live stream as well. It's good to have you with us wherever you are, right around the world. Welcome on this Sunday evening. It's good to see you guys, and I hope you've had an enjoyable summer, although summer, as it seems, is definitely over, judging by the weather this week. Well, Brandon said it last Sunday. Last Sunday was the first church at five, back after the summer break. We'll be starting here the book of Daniel next Sunday evening, uh, the 2nd of October. It's not the 2nd of October, it'll be the 4th of October. I don't know what, what I've written down here. Sorry, let's just start this again. Welcome. As Brandon said last week, next week... Next Sunday we'll be starting the book of Daniel. So last Sunday and this Sunday uh, he termed them standalone sermons, uh, not connected to a, a particular series as such. And certainly last week, uh, bev- bev- I wasn't here actually last Sunday, I was somewhere else, but last week as I was thinking about what to speak about this evening, I considered uh, actually speaking about Acts chapter 13 and looking at the presentation of the Gospel in that chapter, it's very interesting. Maybe you want to check that out later for yourself, but I it was. The second thing I was thinking about was talking about discipleship, and uh, then I listened to uh, Brandon's message from last Sunday, sometime this week, and th- and that settled it for me. If you were here last week, uh, you'll know why that I was going to speak about discipleship this evening, and that's why we've had the text read this evening from Matthew twenty-eight. So this evening, I want this message to build on the message of last Sunday evening, and if you remember. Last Sunday, Brandon laid out or reminded us of the vision here of Church at Five and of the importance and certainty of knowing what we're doing as we live together here in community at Calvary Freiburg and specifically in this congregation of Church at Five, that we, we shouldn't just fall into going through the motions but we want to be aware of what our goal is, what our vision is, what, what God has called us to do in being a part of this community and Brandon encouraged us based on the example of Nehemiah, to stay focused, to finish the work that God has given us, both as a church and individually. There are two things that Brandon left with us and he said that we should keep these in mind, remember these things. Number one, he said, we are all called to go and make disciples. And Therefore, the question he asked was, are you being light and salt right now here in Freiburg? Are you being light and salt right here now in Freiburg? And secondly, not only are we called to make disciples, we are called to be involved, he said, in our church, that we stand together to accomplish the mission Jesus gave us. And therefore, the question he asked is, will you join us? Will you be part of what God is doing here at this church? And it's these two things, really, putting them together, that I want to speak about this evening. As our text hopefully makes clear... These two things go together. The task of making disciples is given to the church, the whole church, not just any uh, one particular individual Christian. It wasn't as Jesus spoke these words that He said, Peter, hey, okay, you go and make disciples and you guys, James and John, you guys go and do church, but rather the command to make disciples is given to all of the disciples representing the whole church. But the church, by by church, I I don't mean an impersonal institution or a building so much as the gathering of all of those who believe in Jesus, all who follow Jesus, who seek to live after His example. So, we need to be involved in our church because we're called to go and make disciples. So, we want to be talking about discipleship this evening, and I've entitled this message, Following Christ Together in Fall 2020. What do you think? Good title? Some people are laughing, so, okay, maybe I don't have the gift of titling messages, but this message tonight is entitled, Following Christ Together in Fall 2020. That means this time of year and we're going to do it together. So, assuming that all of you want to be salt and light here in Freiburg, in this season of your lives while God has placed you in this city, assuming that you understand that the church. Is Jesus' plan to make disciples. What I want to do this evening is look practically at aspects of discipleship. In other words, how can we be following Christ together in fall, autumn of 2020? How can we be following Christ together in fall 2020? And I say that because this is a good time to consider these things, to consider discipleship. We've just come back from a summer break, we're entering into a new season of the year, the weather's cooler, we're entering into for many a new semester or a new school year. We've got milestones ahead of us, it's nine weeks to Advent, ouch, so that means it's only what, nine plus four is what, 13 weeks to the new year. So this is a time we've we've got some time ahead of us. Where we can put things into practice that we learn, we can set some goals, we can set some focus, and we can push on and be purposeful and strategic and focused as we consider our walk with Christ together. Now, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, that was the text we heard that Lawrence read for us. That's our jump-off text for today. We won't be studying it in depth this evening. I simply want you to note that Jesus gives this commission, this instruction to all the church, that we are to make disciples, not converts. Our goal is not to see, this is important that we understand this right at the outset, our goal is not to see necessarily cards filled out, hands raised, or prayers prayed, and decisions made. Our task goes much further than that. Our task, together as the church, as Christians, is to make disciples, make followers of Jesus. And I think you'd agree with me that it's altogether a more difficult and time-consuming task. It's very easy, relatively speaking, to get someone to fill in a card or raise their hand, or without being overly critical, to emotionally manipulate somebody to come down the front and make a decision not that hard. But to make somebody into a disciple of Christ who lives their whole life following Jesus and obeying His teaching is a far more time-consuming task, but it is also a far more rewarding task that brings us great joy. So, we note that we're to make disciples. We also note that the tools that Jesus gives us to make disciples are baptism and teaching. Go and make disciples, and how do you do that? Well, baptize them into the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey all that I've commanded you." Now, a disciple is, the word in in Greek just actually means pupil or or student, so it's one who learns from his teacher or her teacher and master in order to be like him and represent him. Have you ever thought about that? To be a disciple of Jesus means you are you are engaged in learning from Jesus, what He taught, and living like He lived in order to be like Him and to represent Him. And so, as soon as that dawns on you, you realise that discipleship is not something that happens in one afternoon, in a course, but it's a lifelong process of growing and being conformed to the image of Christ. To quote uh, Fulton Sheen, an American uh, leader who was now departed from us, He says this, He says, speaking to men but the same can be applied to women, He says, we become significant to our fellow man not by being a regular guy but by being another Christ. We become significant to our fellow man not by being a regular guy but by being another Christ. That is to say, that's the goal of us as disciples, that we live our lives in such a way that we actually make Christ visible to those around us. We become significant to them in their lives because they see in us and in our lives almost a a mirror or a picture of Christ, another Christ. And So let's look together this evening at four aspects, four sides of discipleship practically with a particular focus on this starting season, the season that starts now after summer 2020. Let's look at the first aspect, there are four in total. The first one I've entitled, Evangelism and Apologetics. Evangelism and Apologetics, Evangelism, now just let's let's just spell this out, let's make it really clear, really simple. Evangelism, that is basically sharing the gospel, which is announcing the good news that Jesus Christ is Lord. Through His death, burial and resurrection, Jesus Christ has conquered sin and death, he is the Lord, this is good news for us. And that's all evangelism is, sharing that message, announcing that Jesus is Lord. Apologetics, sounds like apology, basically it's providing a reason why for why and what you believe as a Christian. A reason for why and what you believe as a Christian. These things often go together, One of the marks of a disciple of Jesus is that they are engaged in making more disciples. That's implicit in the text in Matthew 28, Jesus spoke to twelve disciples and said, you disciples, go and make more disciples, in fact, go and make disciples of all nations. Don't stop until all of the nations have been discipled, have been brought into a knowledge of Christ. So, one of the marks of a disciple is that they're engaged, that should mark our lives, we are in some way engaged in making more disciples. Now this is not like an individual Olympic competition where we're kind of up against each other and we kind of get together at the end of the month and count up our monthly tally like how many fish we've caught, it's not like that. This is why disciples are made here in the church where the Holy Spirit gives different gifts. In order to achieve this, everyone helps out, and if you look at many people's journey to Christ, you can see this. They might have spoken to somebody in some public place. Maybe they were sitting in an airport lounge or something, someone came up to them, they had a brief conversation about the gospel, and then many years later they'll run into somebody else, maybe a work colleague, there's a friendship there, and through that work colleague they then get invited to church, and and that's how it goes. In a church they meet somebody else, and, and that's how they become a disciple of Christ. We have to be aware of that because we're about following Christ together here in fall 2020. We have to be praying for each other and helping each other make disciples. And evangelism and apologetics is really the first step. This is speaking about Jesus with people who've never heard or understood the gospel and answering their questions about Jesus and the Christian faith. So evangelism is very, very simple. We shouldn't make it more complicated than it is. Now, our culture has created the myth here of secular neutrality and has therefore tried to push faith and belief, for example, in Christ out of public life, or at least make faith, the faith that we see in the public arena, tame and nice, which is why it's awkward, isn't it? It's awkward to talk about Jesus in public. If you go up to somebody here on the street and just talk about Jesus, it's kind of a bit weird, it's kind of bit awkward. That's not what happens generally. Very different experience, for example, if you go to Jerusalem, or I've experienced it differently in Istanbul as well when I was there, much easier to talk about these things. So we as Christians, we need to push back against the culture, we can't let the culture tell us, you shouldn't do that, that's awkward, that's embarrassing. We need to learn to talk naturally about Jesus and talk naturally from our Christian worldview. So let's, having said these introductory remarks about evangelism sorry, and apologetics, let's get practical for Fall 2020. I'll give you some practical things here. I want you guys, this is my invitation to you obviously, I want you guys to resolve that people should know that you are a Christian, that you are a disciple of Jesus. That's that's a resolution that I took on in my own life, that in whatever recurring spheres of interaction I might find myself, so whether that be at my job or in my need classes, and I'm seeing, I'm going to the same place like, you know, multiple times a week or every day, I'm seeing the same people over and over, I want those people to know that I'm a Christian, that I'm a disciple of Jesus. I don't want to be hidden, I don't want to be a crypto Christian. I want them to know that both through word and example, and I think this is a good thing for you guys to resolve. I want to make sure that at the end of at the end of days, when when the final judgment is there, and my work colleagues stand up and they see me, kind of as the saints go marching in, as that song goes, they're not gonna be like, "Hey, what? I didn't know that." No, you are a saint. Don't want you don't want that. You want people to know that you're a Christian. Remember that the bulk of evangelism. We have some gifted people in churches, and that's what the New Testament says, who are gifted with the gift of evangelism, who are good at speaking to people on the street, kind of just going up to people and in a cold, um, what do you call it? Not not unfriendly, but I mean just, just going up and talking to them about the gospel, there's a gift there. But most evangelism, and the bulk of evangelism in our church and in this congregation has to happen through relationships built on trust day by day of all the members of the congregation of the church. So that's the first thing. You want people, you want to go into any new situation you're going to go into this semester and you're going to say, I want people to know after two, three, four weeks that I'm a Christian and that I'm a follower of Jesus. Secondly, know what you believe. You need to know what you, if you're going to tell other people what you believe, you've got to know what you believe yourself, right up front there. You need to know what we as Christians confess and believe. Let me just give you an example. There are plenty of other things, and if you know of somewhere you'd rather go, then go there. But I would suggest to you, work your way through the Apostles' Creed. Start there. Some of you are taking notes, so let me just briefly make this note. Ben Myers, M-Y-E-R-S, Ben Myers, has written a book called The Apostles' Creed. You can get it cheaply on Amazon. It's a great way to get into the very basics of what we believe as Christians. Start with the Apostles' Creed, work your way up from there. And if, if you get a question that you don't know the answer to, then use the giftings that the Lord has given you in this church. Come to church and say, hey, this person asked me this question, uh, how do you think I could answer? Or definitely speak to us as leaders anytime. Pray. Third thing, practical, Pray. We need the Holy Spirit to open eyes, to remove veils. We need to be praying faithfully for opportunities. I know what it's like, and I have this, you know, I have these, I'm not perfect myself, but it can be just before we're about to do something, then we pray. So, we're about to go out on the street, maybe, and talk to people about the gospel, oh, we better pray for that. Um, Or about, you know... But, but, but what we really need is faithful prayer, day in, day out, week in, week out, for a season of time. We need to be faithful in praying for the Holy Spirit to open eyes and to remove the veil, that people may see the glory of Jesus Christ. Then, finally, B, I want to encourage you guys to be bold be bold. Proverbs 28 verse 1 says this, the righteous are as bold as a lion. God is with you and you don't need to be afraid of failure. I think that's what paralyzes so many of us, we're afraid of failure, but we don't need to be afraid of failure. All we have to, all our job is, is to present the gospel clearly, or to talk about Jesus faithfully, or to be honest. If someone asks you, what did you do on Sunday morning or Sunday evening, be honest. Be honest. And if you, do, if you are going out onto the street, remember that Jesus sent out His disciples two by two. It's often a lot easier if we take a friend. And finally, be purposeful. The, the aim is to create disciples, not to get somebody to make a, a quick decision in the heat of the moment so we can go, whew, yeah. But we want people to genuinely recognize Jesus for their lives to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. The aim is that they seek after baptism. They say, I want to ident- identify myself with Jesus and His people. And so my challenge to you, I've got, I've, got, I've got a little challenge here for each of these four points. The challenge is I want you to think of two people in your life now, two people in your life who don't know Jesus and I want you to pray for them, ask God for them, that He would reveal Himself to them. And I want you to pray specifically, specifically that they would come to faith, that they would come to faith and I want you to think about how you can be putting these things into practice in order to lead them towards baptism. There's going to be a baptism next Easter, right here, God willing. It's going to be Sunday the 4th of April. So, let's get praying. Let's get relying on God. Let's get trusting in the Holy Spirit. And let's get speaking about our faith. Okay. So, that's the first part of being, making, being a disciple is disciples, one of the marks of disciples is that we are making other disciples. Disciples. And just before we go on, I just want to clarify here. I mentioned it a moment ago. Some people have the gift of evangelism, and that's great. We need to support them. So I'm not here saying you all need to act like you're a street evangelist and you have this gift. Maybe you don't have that gift, but you need to be involved in the process of this church, of this congregation making disciples. If you're not the street evangelist, maybe you are the prayer warrior who's praying week in, week out for those who are out on the street, but be involved in it. That's what we're called to do as disciples. All right, second aspect of discipleship, sanctification. Sanctification. I want you to think about this in Fall 2020. Sanctification is a big word, Probably you've heard it though. It merely means that we grow in holiness and godliness. That we have our hearts and desires transformed, that we love the Lord God. We love his word. We love his ways. In fact, we love what he loves. We love whom he loves. One of the marks of a disciple, of a follower, is that they remind you of the master. Or as Jesus said, by their fruit you shall know them. A good tree brings forth good fruit. Jesus says this in John 15:5. I am the vine, you, disciples, are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. So, sanctification, becoming holy, becoming godly being transformed in our desires, and our will. It has two sides. There's two sides to this coin, and we need to be thinking about both of them. The positive side of sanctification is growing in Christian virtue and character, exercising love, being active, doing good works. Yes, we are called to do good works, to grow in virtue, that is, to grow in things like honesty, integrity boldness. That's the positive side. The negative side of sanctification is to put, as Paul says in his way, Colossians 3, put to death the sinful nature. That is, stop doing things which displease God, stop sinning. And when we grow on both sides, or or I should say this, growth on either side is that's what Jesus means when He talks about bearing fruit, growing in Christian character and virtue and putting sin to death. And I think, I think sometimes we have a problem here in free churches that we want to make absolutely sure that we are saved by grace through faith alone, not by works. Works sounds, whoa, sounds dangerous. And we've misunderstood that we are saved by a living faith and a godly, holy life is the first sign of true, living faith. We are called so often in the New Testament to get active, get to work, to grow in holiness. 1 Timothy 4 and the second part of verse 7 says this, train yourself to be godly. Then verse 8, for physical training, that is, I'm going to the gym, physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both this present life and the life to come. We are instructed here, train yourself to be godly. In the same way that you would train your physical body, you need to be training yourself with that kind of strategy, that kind of purpose, that kind of discipline. Thomas Akempis, one of my favorite authors, he says this, he says, true, and this is so true, this is true by experience, true peace of heart, true peace of heart can be found only by resisting the passions, not by yielding to them, not by giving in to them. Or, in other words, holiness is the only way to true happiness. But, Thomas a. Kempis continues, he says, but we are held too firmly by our passions, we're too much concerned with the passing affairs of the world, we seldom completely master even a single fault, single wrong thing in our lives, and we have little zeal for our daily progress and therefore we remain spiritually cold. But if we strove to stand firm in the struggle, like people of valour, braveness, boldness, We should not fail to experience the help of the Lord from heaven, for He is always ready to help all who fight and who trust in His grace. Who trust in His grace. So, let's get practical. As disciples, we want to be growing in our Christ-likeness, in our holiness, in our godliness, growing in virtue and character, putting aside sin. If you wish to grow in holiness, you must live in the fear of God. You will all know that, Proverbs 1 verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And therefore, I want to commend to you guys, you need a a vision of of our our big, strong, sovereign God. You need to be overawed by God. You You need to have a healthy respect and fear for God. My encouragement would be to pray your way through the Psalms. I mean, just, yeah, yeah, there are no shortcuts here. To pray your way through the Psalms is going to mean, translated into everyday life, you're going to have to get up and read a Psalm. Yep, that's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to do it. You can't sit back passively and wait for Psalms to be read to you, it's not going to happen. You have to get up and read a Psalm and contemplate our strong, sovereign God. Let me say this, and there are many young people who come to this service, some not so young. Look, the longer a habit or a sin endures, the harder it is to break. You, you know this, and it's not just sin, it's other habits as well. Because you've made peace with it for too long, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews calls these kind of things besetting sins or entangling sins. The images were trying to run the race and there's just, there's ropes and cords tripping us up, not letting us go. So, fight hard and fight early. Fight hard and fight early. Very practically, you need to recognize that sin and habits are often governed by patterns of behavior patterns of behaviour that that are strung together over often a number of days, even a week. If you look at your life, you can actually see these patterns. If you look at particular sins you might be struggling with and you look what happens leading up to that sin, you might find that you recognise there are patterns there that go back even a few days. They're linked together far more closely than you think. So, let me give you this practical advice. Control your appetite, Control your appetite and you will all the more easily control all your bodily desires. If you give in when it comes to food and what you eat, then you'll probably give in to a lot of other things too, which is why fasting is a spiritual discipline. And know this, there is hope here, one habit overcomes another. If you experience victory in a little thing, if you experience self discipline in one area of your life, that will often flow on to another area. So start small and start specifically. And we'll see that one habit overcomes another. Just very briefly here, and you've heard me say this before, you've heard this in other sermons. Probably the reason I'm saying it again here is because it's true. It's true. First things first. First things first. John Bunyan, who wrote the Pilgrim's Progress, um, and he wrote it in prison, actually. I remember reading the Pilgrim's Progress as a kid, and I was told he was wrote it in prison. I was like, "This is a strange book for a criminal to write." Didn't realize he was locked up for preaching the gospel, but he said this: He said, "The person who runs from God in the morning will scarcely find him the rest of the day." So first things first, get up when the alarm clock goes, get straight up, open the Bible and pray every day. You're going to think, oh, He's telling me to do works, as if oh, I'm going to get saved. Through it. No, no. This is what we're called to do. This is discipline. This is training yourself for godliness. This is growing as a disciple. It comes down to these little things. And secondly, you need help. You need help. I need help too. I need help too. So, go to church every Sunday. Make that a habit in your life. Connect with the fellow members of your church The teaching of God's Word, the fellowship, Holy Communion, these are God's ways of making you holy, of helping you grow in holiness. You've seen it before. People who drift away from church drift away from God. It is so tragic, and I've seen it this year, and I hate seeing it, but it happens over and over again. Do not underestimate how God uses others, specifically those in your fellowship, in your church, in your small group, in your life, to grow you as His disciple. So be in a small group, but be in a small group with focus, a small group that yes, they enjoy each other's company and they eat together and they have fun together, but they're about growing in discipleship, they take it seriously. Okay, I want you to, here's my challenge for you, challenge for sanctification, think of one vice, that's a sin, that's an old word for a sin, and one virtue. And I want you to set your mind and, and your heart on these and ask the Holy Spirit for help. So, I want you to think of one vice, and I'm sure this is, this is not too hard, not too difficult. If you look at your life, there's going to be a couple of sins that when I say, what are the sins that are in your life right now, they're going to come straight into the front of your mind. Think of one of those. The second one is a little bit harder. I want you to think of one virtue, one character strength that you lack at the moment, maybe you lack boldness, you're really scared, you're fearful of man, well then you're lacking that virtue of boldness. So, think of one vice and one virtue and I want you to set your mind on these things and ask the Holy Spirit to both help you put that vice to death and to increase that virtue in you and I want you to use the tool of fellowship, of accountability over the course of fall 2020. Speak to someone in your small group and say, okay, the Lord put this on my heart, I want to kill this sin in my life, will you help me do that? Will you pray for me? Will you hold me accountable? Or, the Lord's put on my heart, I want to overcome this fear of man, I want to grow in boldness. Will you help me? Will you pray for me or keep me accountable? That's a challenge for sanctification. Third aspect. Knowledge of God, knowledge of God, do you know God, I suppose is the question that we have to ask. When I speak here of knowledge of God, I mean both a knowledge about God, who He is, what He's like, what He's done, how He acts, what is His will, what does His Word reveal? But I also mean a knowledge of God in the sense of being in a relationship, or or having a relationship with God, knowing God, not as just God, abstract, distant, but as Father, Son and Holy Spirit. One of the marks of a disciple is that they know their Master, they know their Master, and their Master knows them. At the last day, it will not be enough to know about God, to merely be aware of him. A disciple must truly know God and be known by him. John seventeen three. This is what Jesus says when he prays to the Father, high priestly prayer on Maundy Thursday. Now this is eternal life that they, my disciples, That they know you. That's what eternal life is. That they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now, hold that thought in your mind for a moment. This is what theology is. A lot of people hear the word theology and they go, ooh, theology. Theology is basically, it just comes from the two Greek words, a knowledge of God or a word about God. So, how is your theology? How is your knowledge of God? Let me ask you, do you know God? Like, in, like I think of this, there are, there are we talked first, uh, earlier about making sure that in those situations where you're going into them each and every day or three times a week, that people know you're a Christian. That might be your studies, it might be your family at home, um, something like that, your workplace. But there are people in life who you see regularly and you kind of know them and they kind of know you, but you don't really know them. So for example, if you, especially if you do things at a regular time, you might go into a certain coffee shop or a bakery at certain times of the day and you see the person behind the counter and you're like, oh yeah, I've seen that person before and they're like, hi, I've seen that person before and they're like, hey, what do you want today? You know, but you don't really know them. Or Oftentimes I fill up my car at a certain fuel station and I kind of know the guys. Behind the, behind the counter. But it's an acquaintance. It's a, it's a bare minimum. I know about them. I know kind of what they look like when they work, but I don't really know them. But let me ask you, do you know God? How do you know God? Do you know God intimately as a friend, or do you know God only barely as an acquaintance? Someone you run into at certain times of the week. Oh, hi God, yeah. Yeah, I'll have the usual. That's right. Bit of grace for today. Thanks, man. Or do you really know him? Listen to this quote from St. Gregory of Nyssa, fourth century, a man who knew God. He says this God is limitless, limitless, eternal, or um, infinite, I should say. And that which is limitless cannot by its nature be understood. You think about that. This, uh, what's it called? Pulpit. Thank you. It's a help if you can speak English. This pulpit is not limitless. In fact, you can see in its you know you can see it in its entirety, and so you can come to you can you can actually fully comprehend this if you spend enough time. You're able to look at it from all sides, and you've comprehended everything there is to comprehend about this pulpit. That's not what God is like. That's the point. God is infinite. He has no limit. Gregory says, and therefore he can't be fully comprehended. Can't be fully understood. And so, he says, every desire for the beautiful, he means God, every desire for the beautiful, which draws us on this ascent up towards God, is intensified by our very progress toward God. And this, he says, is the real meaning of seeing God, never to have this desire satisfied, never to have this desire satisfied, but fixing our eyes on those things which help us to see We must ever keep alive in us the desire to see more and more. But no limit can be set to our progress towards God, first of all, because God is infinite, no limit can be put on the beautiful, and secondly, because the increase in our desire for the beautiful cannot be stopped by any sense of satisfaction. Of satisfaction. So what, what Gregory of Nyssa is saying here is, is that because God is, God is limited, we are, we are drawn to Him because He is beautiful and we desire Him, but because there is always more of Him to know, more of Him to see, more of Him to desire, that desire is never satisfied. We can always know God deeper. And in fact, that is, that is our destiny in all eternity, to never be satisfied, but to be always full of desire for more of God. So, I want you to see here the link between desiring and knowing. If you fall in love with a person, your desire for that person whom you love is, in some sense, a desire to know them more. And the more you know them, at least this is the idea, the greater is your desire Obviously, it can go in the other direction. When you suddenly find out a few things about them, you're like, oh, no, 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 thank you. But the idea is you desire to know them more, and then the more you know them, the more you desire them. What Gregory is saying is that never reaches an end with God. We'll always desire to know Him more. We'll always know Him more, and we'll keep, that'll keep on going. So we'll never be satisfied, but we won't be unhappy. We'll be full of the desire for God in all eternity. So I want you to understand, when it comes to knowing God, the Christian life is a fight for joy, for joy in God, for desiring God, and therefore for knowing God. Remember, knowing Him increases our desire for Him. Just as you get to know a person you might fall in love with, and the more you know them, you're like, the more I desire them and I love them. We want to truly know God as He really is. We don't want to merely be on acquaintance terms with God, that we see Him a couple of times a week. We want to know Him, the glory of His character, His goodness, His abundant and exceeding loveliness. So let's get practical. Um, Although this is perhaps slightly more theoretical, I think we have to understand a few things. The worst thing you can do, in one sense, is to think that Christianity is boring, or that God is boring. You you haven't understood if that's what you think, and you need to hear this as a wake-up call. That's not… if you read the Bible, you cannot get to the point where God is presented as boring and dull or a mere acquaintance with whom we need some kind of casual relationship in order to be to get our get-out-of-jail-free card when it comes to the final judgment. The worst thing you can do is to live your life as a Christian trying to be good out of mere sense of duty. Oh, I have to be good because God is holy or something, and I should do this. No, 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 no. What, what you want to do is the more you know God, the more you desire God, it's not that you do what is right because you have to, it's because you do it because you want to, you desire to, you delight to, you take great joy in doing so. The goal of the Christian life is to know God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, and to find inexpressible joy and delight in God. Psalm 37:4, take delight in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart, which is not to be meant as in, show up to church on Sunday and sing really loudly and you'll get a PlayStation 5 for the next week. That's not what that's saying. It's saying the more you actually take your delight in the Lord, He will give you the, the, the desires of your heart, which will be He will give you Himself. That's the great secret, which is an open secret of Christianity, is that the Gospel is that God gives, him, gives us Himself. He gives us the very best thing He can ever give us. Something far better than sunsets and lagoons and Caribbean holidays, He can give Him Himself, give us Himself, sorry. So what I want you to do in fall 2020 is I want you to treasure God, treasure God, make a a choice that I'm going to focus on finding joy in God when I read the Word, when I pray, When I look at the creation around me, that's your challenge. And finally, so we've had evangelism. The mark of a disciple is that we're involved in making other disciples. We've had sanctification. The mark of a disciple is that we are growing to become more like Christ, holy, godly. And we've had the mark of a disciple is that we know our masters, we are growing in relationship with God. And finally, ministry and fellowship. Be considering this fall 2020 your ministry and fellowship. Not only are disciples involved in making new disciples or growing more Christ-like or deepening our understanding and knowledge and experience and love of God. We also live in community, in fellowship with each other, where we serve each other, where we look after each other, both generally and specifically. We've got some great people here this evening who are serving generally. They've put up some lovely a box over there for your prayer points after the service, there were some lovely people checking your tickets as you came in today, there were some lovely people who prepared some worship for you today, that's general ministry, but we also look after each other specifically, that we go up to specific other brothers and sisters and say, hey, or, you know, through close friendships often, hey, can I pray for you? Can I look after you? Can I help you? Can I do that for you? Can I support you? Indeed, it's often that these aspects of discipleship are linked together. And we should understand that one of the ways God grows us as disciples is through putting us together with other disciples, with other people, and that we minister to them and serve them. One of the marks of a disciple is that they love this people who Jesus loves. It's hard to to love Jesus and then not love the people that Jesus loves. One of the marks for disciples is they love the people who Jesus loves. They love the church. They love the bride of Christ. They love to minister in Christ's name to them. So, very, very practically here. Are you known? Think about, think about following Christ together in fall 2020, together. Are you known here at this church, in this fellowship, or at your church, wherever you might be joining us from? Are you known? Or are you so private and protective and and at the end of every service you rush out the door, you don't have any contact at all, that you can't possibly be known? You need to be known as a disciple of Christ. There is no other way. You need to open up to other disciples to allow the Lord to minister to you through them. Secondly, are you committed? Are you committed? Are you willing to take on responsibility for something beyond your own self, your own life, Are you willing to be committed to others, to other disciples of Christ, to to have responsibility for them, to look after them, to pray for them, to support them? Are you committed? And are you serving? Are you willing, in some sense, to serve the general welfare here uh, at the church? At the church that would, my, that would be my challenge for you in this fall 2020 that if you're not known or you're not committed or you're not serving, to say, I need to change that. Not because Sam said I have to do something, ah, oh, oh, okay, but because you recognize that's what Je- that's Jesus' plan, that's how Jesus wants discipleship. To work, and if you want to be his disciple, you've got to be known to other disciples. You've got to be committed to them. You've got to have a general spirit of I love ministering. That's what Christ did. Christ ministered to his disciples. He washed their feet. He he loved them. He loved ministering to them. That's that's what we're going to be like if we're his disciples. All right. Okay. Now, I just want to close now in, in conclusion. I've, I've talked a bit about. Um, No, I'll leave that out. So, I've given you a number of challenges this evening, and I've talked about uh, following Christ together in fall 2020, and I, I really want this to be a practical encouragement to you. I've seen a number of taking notes, that encourages me. I really want you to take this season that the Lord is giving you now, open up your hands, open up your life, as in shoulders back, I'm ready for this, God, I'm ready for what you're going to give to me, and, and receive it from the Lord, and say, Lord, I want, when I look back in, in nine weeks' time at Advent, in 13 weeks' time at New Year, in five months' time at the end of this semester as, as exam season comes, I, I want to look back and I want to have taken, um, taken this season by the horns. I want to really got everything out of it that you had for me. I was open to the ministry of your Holy Spirit. I was open to the ministry of the, the, the brothers and sisters. I was open to the ministry of the church. That's what I want for you guys. I want you guys to grow as disciples, in making disciples, in, in growing to be godly and holy, in knowing God more deeply, and in coming ever more together as a fellowship. So for the things that you may have written down today, I would say this, seek God for them, seek God for them, realize that you need His blessing for them. As one person said, um, working six days with blessing is more, worth far more than working seven days. Working six days with blessing is worth far more than working seven days. So, as you decide these things, and as the Holy Spirit has prompted you, pray about them tonight, tomorrow morning, and say, Lord, I want to lay these things on the altar. I want your blessing on these things. And then share these things in your small group this week, maybe, or the next week, or maybe in one-on-one with good friends that you have to say, hey, will you help me? Will you pray with me? Will you support me? Um, Will you ask the Holy Spirit to be with me in this season, and let's follow Christ together this fall 2020. Let's be excited about this new season of ministry and fellowship here at Calvary, here at at Church at Five. Let's be purposeful, let's be joyful, let's give it our all for the glory of His name. Amen? Okay. All right, we're going to sing another song, I believe. Yes.